our core values here at Second is attend one, serve one, and that's the reason for that is to help us flush out this opportunity to serve. And and uh, that we have two services, and one of the main reasons we offer the two services is so you can literally attend a service and um, be a part of a service as well. And so that we believe that you should have a regular opportunity to serve, but then you should also have a regular opportunity to be in the body together with the family. That if you just serve and you're not in worship together, you're missing out. If you're just coming to worship and you're not serving, you're missing out. And so that you want a healthy diet, and we believe that that's one of the ways that you can do that. And so um, this weekend, you guys, and y'all blew it out of the water. I mean, in all honesty, we Friday and Saturday, over 70-plus of you took a break from your routines of the weekend and said this community is worth me making coffee, doing sandwiches, driving a shuttle, being a part of a parking lot, wearing an orange vest, and greeting people. And you stepped in, and over 750 people were here to say goodbye to a loved one. And there's no greater ministry than to serve the tables of those that are hungry. And that's what you did. And I thank you. You make me as your pastor proud to serve and to walk among you and to know that we are, as a church family together, have so much to be thankful for. And that people walked in these doors that would never have walked in here before because it said Baptist or whatever, second or whatever. But they walked into this place, and time after time after time, so many of our volunteers heard, thank you. You guys embodied what it looks like to have compassion and to be Jesus with skin on. So thank you for that. And so it almost feels inadequate to teach the sermon of a 10-1-serve-one. But I also know that it's something that is constantly for us to think about, is that we are naturally selfish people and we guard our time and all that. So what does it look like for us to attend one, serve one? And again, as we think about our core values, what are our core values here? And one is we're a Bible-based church. If we're going to, before we're even Baptist, we're Bible. Okay, so there's some things that are Baptist that may not be Bible, that they're tradition. And so we're going we're gonna to go to the Bible first, and, and we're that. And we're, we want to be about pointing people to Jesus. And uh, we, I think we did that yesterday, and I think we do that consistently through the things that we do. We're a grace-based place where no perfect people are allowed. That Listen, the very reason that you were able to walk in the doors is because you understand that no perfect people are allowed. And so what does that look like for us that have received grace? How do we pass on that grace, and then also this idea that we talked about last week, that life change happens best in circles, not in rows, that as valuable as and important as this time is, as we receive family time together, this circle time together, we're able to, to break down some life and to do some life and to ask questions of one another. Even the question of how you're doing or what's God doing in your life, those sound pretty generic, but those spur on some great questions. Even at one of my life groups this week, that was the question for us around the table of what's what's God saying to you this week. And 
it was great to hear and to see men in particular. Um, I think most of them actually opened up their U version or whatever um, and, and went to and, and looked at some of the highlighted verses of where God spoke to the depths of their hearts. And that's where, again, that's where life change happens is if you're totally dependent on Pastor Chris message on Sunday, you're going to get hungry. You're going to need to continue to eat, and that's the part of growing and maturing in your faith is is going to God's Word for yourself and that idea. And so today, this idea of that we're going to be a generous people through the way that we serve and that we care for one another and, and how we can do that. So what does it mean to, to attend one service and serve one? It means you need to serve and you need to worship regularly that you need to be a part of and, and fleshing this stuff out because, again, one of the best ways to get to know someone is to stand shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder with them in Awanas or shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder with them in the nursery or shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder with them in a parking lot because as you're shoulder-to-shoulder, shoulder, you're laughing, you're telling stories, and you get to know someone on a whole different level than if you're sitting in here. So that ability to be shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder with people. We just need have two services each week so that people can attend one and serve one. We have two services because more services means more people. We understand that in today's culture that people people need buffet and we're busy, we're going, and so how can we as a congregation uh, meet the needs of the people within our community? And so, um, honestly, if we could have more services, I would do it in a heartbeat. I think Hannah would probably kill me, but, I mean, I'm talking 8 o'clock, Saturday, Sunday night. I mean, we might have to have Mexican buffet in between stuff, but... To get whatever it would take to get more people here. And I wholeheartedly believe that those days are coming. It also makes inviting easier. It's not something we talk a whole lot about here, but the idea of inviting your friends is an age-old thing of as God is doing something in you, and a part of that is the church that you're attending, one of the best ways for you to tell your story, your faith story, is invite them in to the family where you're doing church and life with them. And so... Um, I know sometimes it's hard in a smaller town or smaller community, but to invite your friends. And um, we'll have some things in the next few weeks that I think we can help eliminate some things for you that remove some barriers for you to invite your friends. Um, but when you serve one service, then you can meet your friend in the other service. So if you're serving at 930, you can meet your friend at 11 or, or vice versa. And then also, you don't have to miss church when you serve. So if you're serving at 9, you can come to church. And, um, again, I know that you got things to do, so I'll give you the permission that while I'm preaching, if you serve one and attend one while I'm preaching, you can write your grocery list amongst your notes, okay? As long as you're here and listening. We will only continue to grow and reach our neighbors according to our willingness to serve on a regular basis. We will only continue to grow and reach our neighbors by our willingness as a family to serve on a regular basis. Listen, I can preach the best sermons every single week, and we have the best worship and do all these different things, but if no one's greeted at the door well, if there's not parking people, all these different things, then they're, they're going to say to us, they're going to hear from us, we have enough. We have enough people. We have, we've done enough of our job. We don't need you anymore. It's a subconscious thing that people hear and see. And so we can only reach as many as we're willing to continue to serve and to be a part of, and that that's part of our duty. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. This is a passage where Paul is the author, and Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus, and 
He's talking about the body of Christ and what it means to the responsibility that each one of us are to take, the responsibility of leadership, but then also the responsibility of the body and what it looks like. So Ephesians, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11, it says this. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. So when you think of the organization of the church at large, there's some offices, so to speak. And so some would say that some of these offices don't exist anymore, whatever. There's personalities. I would tell you that probably apostles today, you see them with the apostle spirit of, of church planters or those kind of things. And, and um, obviously you see me before you and I fulfill that office of pastor teacher. And so look at verse 12 and, and understand that this is part of my responsibility to you. This is my main responsibility to you as the lead pastor. Verse 12. Responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. And so that every time that I'm with you, my main goal is to literally take the toolbox that you have and to equip you, that you understand that what tools that you specifically have in your toolbox for the work and the service that God has planned for you. Because as Job tells us, as Jeremiah tells us, is that when you were knit together in your mother's womb, he knitted you together for a specific purpose and a specific plan. And as Ephesians 2 tells us previously, says you are God's workmanship. You were saved. And so even before you were saved, you were God's workmanship. God doesn't make any junk. But in that moment that you say yes to Jesus... You are then located in Christ Jesus as a follower of him. And so the masterpiece that he was making that he sees, now the weave of Jesus Christ is woven into your tapestry. And so as you begin to allow Jesus to weave, your purpose and your plan is then even further fulfilled because, again, the mess of life on the backside of that tapestry of the masterpiece, God brings us to the other side and says, look what God, look what Jesus is doing Even in the mess of life, look what he's doing and how he's using you and the purpose and the plan that he has for you. So as a pastor, my role is also to come alongside of you and say, listen, I know that there's times that when you're looking at the backside of your tapestry, it looks messy. But to pull you around and say, listen, allow Jesus to do some weaving and allow Jesus to do some knitting. and So that your call to the specific ministry, because your tapestry will look radically different from Chris's tapestry. From each one of you, because you are unique, one-of-a-kind people, and God has specific plans and purposes for you. And so even the hurts and even the pains that God has allowed you to work through, Colossians tells us that those are specific things that God's allowed to happen in your life so that those moments of ministry that you come across someone else who's gone through a similar pain or through some similar grief is that you can walk in their mess with them and say that there's hope in the midst of this because I've walked in this and Jesus has walked in this with me and there's hope in it. And so that our responsibility as pastors is therefore to equip you to give you the strength, to give you the tools, for even to, to recognize the tools that you've got and how you can use them and to place you with other people that are similarly equipped so that you can stand shoulder to shoulder together and to realize, hey, I'm a carpenter, but I can use carpenter for, carpentry for Jesus. Hey, I'm an electrician, and I can use my electric skills for Jesus. Hey, I'm an English teacher, and I can use my English teachers for Jesus. And so you begin to see how God has uniquely equipped you to share the gospel. 
and that that is my goal, that is my passion, that is the purpose that I have, that every time that we open up God's Word together, one of the things that's hoping to happen is that you understand that who you are in Christ and that your identity is found in Him. Yes, you're an electrician. Yes, you're a teacher. Yes, you're whatever. But your identity, your worth, and your value doesn't come from that. But God uses that as a child of His because you're located, literally located in Him through Christ Jesus and the masterpiece work that God does in you and through you as you serve. Look at verse 13. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith. So if you have your Bibles and you like to underline, underline unity, or if you highlight in your U version, highlight unity. Unity in our faith, knowledge of God's Son, so underline knowledge, highlight it, whatever, that we will be mature in the Lord. So in other words, the reasons that we're being equipped, the reasons that we're spending this time together learning is so that we can come to a place as a family where there's unity, that there's a knowledge, that we're growing up in our knowledge because there's a place for intellectual knowledge. But all of that stuff is so that there can be a place where we reach maturity. Again, what does it look like for an adult, or we would say an adult, to be mature? There's some certain things that we want from our children as they get to a certain place of maturity. And the same thing is in our walk with Christ, is there a certain place where, hey, someone is mature enough in their faith that they can go about and begin to reproduce. Mature people have the ability to reproduce. So in other words, we are making disciples of disciples. If we're a disciple and we're mature, then we're reproducing. We're drawing other people to Christ, a part of that story, and reproducing other disciples. That's a big part of maturing in Christ is that we're able to be a part of the story of sharing our faith and seeing others come to faith and helping them along in that maturity. Grow in unity, grow in knowledge, and also so that we may be mature. Look at the other part, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now, are we ever going to be perfect? No, some of you are thinking, mm, maybe. No, we're not ever going to be perfect, Okay. But mature doesn't mean perfect. So hopefully most of us as adults in this room that are, you know, of a certain age, we've matured to a place where we can handle some things and do some things with reasonable goodness and still recognize we're not, we're not perfect and we're never going to be. But we don't give up because of that. We keep pushing on. We keep trying to strive to get better and grow in some areas. That's a part of our maturity. The same thing is true here is that as we're growing in our knowledge and as we're growing in our unity, the maturity then allows us to continue on and at some point we'll measure up that there's this fullness and completeness in us. Because now that we're located in Christ, as God looks at our tapestry, he sees perfection and completeness because he sees the future glory that we can't see. And so even though we're working this thing out, God's looking at what Christ has done through us, and he sees us through Christ's eyes, through the lens of Christ. And so we're complete and in his glory already. So this maturity, this completeness all. So verse 14, then we will no longer be like immature children. Now, you've seen immature children, right? You go to Walmart or go somewhere, and they've got the toy section, and they want that toy. What do you see? Immature kids, right? Or they've trained their parents 
And so that's said, if I do X, I'm going to win this. But there, there's an immaturity because you want what you want when you want it. It doesn't matter. You're going, to, you're going to raise a ruckus until you get what you want. This would never happen in church. Then we will no longer be like immature children. We won't, but here's the listen to this. We won't be tossed and blown around by every wind of new teaching. But there's constantly guys that are teaching and they become famous and all this different stuff because they've got this new revelation. And here's what I'm going to tell you. There are no new, no new revelations. Okay? All of the revelation that is and will be is already here. And so, but it's easy whenever it sounds a little bit like Christianity, when it sounds a little bit like truth, then it's easy to be drawn into it and begin to, to morsel on it. And you see people deceived and walk away, give away a lot of money, give away a lot of time because it's just enough truth that they're deceived by it. But when you're mature, you're not blown around by all these different teachings. We will no longer be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Verse 15, instead, we will speak the truth in love. Well, this is that part that we struggle with, is that as we're mature and we're doing adult relationships, as we have some friends with people, the ability to come alongside someone and to tell them the truth in love. Of like, hey, listen, we notice this, and there, here's some stuff that's kind of you're going off one direction. And the truth in love is because we, we so focus on love, we forget that we can love so well we never tell someone the truth, and we allow them to literally hurt themselves and harm themselves because we're so afraid of not loving them. But we don't love them by not telling them the truth. That's maturity because if they're mature, they'll be able to receive it. So instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of his body, the church. And here you go, verse 16. So he, Jesus, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. So imagine with me, if you will, a puzzle. We've all had some of these puzzles, whether it's a 10-piece, a 100-piece, or a 1,000-piece puzzle, and you've gone through the whole puzzle, and you think you've got it all put together, and then there's a piece of the puzzle missing. And, and that is what this passage is about, is that a church where someone or someones are not fulfilling their God-ordained calling, then as a church we're missing part of the piece of the puzzle, that the picture of what the community could like, there's something missing, there's something lacking. And so we're not able to be, we're not able to do, we're missing out on an opportunity because you are unique, you have a unique story, and there's someone else in the community, there's someone else around that needs you even more than they need Pastor Chris. Because I have my own unique story, I have my own unique stuff, and so there's only so many people that will attach and I'll be able to do life with, but there's someone else out there that needs you to do life with them. And so if you don't place yourself within the puzzle, you decide that you're not significant enough or your gifts are not important enough, then we miss you as a part of the picture of the family here at Second. Jesus has put us together and he wants us to fit perfectly together so as each part does its own special work it helps the other parts grow that what may seem insignificant to you as far as your skills or your gifts or your the time that you give it's extremely important because it may allow someone 
to understand this idea of no perfect people allowed and what it means to have grace and to hear a song that may touch their heart or to hear something from God's word or see somebody else from the community that they've never seen before and didn't know that they were even a believer and, and all the different things, the dynamics that happen that God uses to draw people in and to change their heart, you are an important piece to that so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So here's my question. What's your special work in the body of Christ? What's God called you to? What is it that he's called you specifically to? And is your piece missing in the puzzle here? Have you believed the lie that your stuff isn't significant enough or someone else can do your... Or what is it that's keeping you from having your piece to the puzzle? How can you help us? as a body, continue to grow and to be healthy? Have you ever seen someone that's gotten hurt and they walk with a limp? It's a noticeable limp. There's a lot of churches walking around with a noticeable limp because someone has said that the little, I'm just a little toe, I'm not significant, and so they don't participate. We need all of you to be participants. Flip over to First Peter 4, verse 10 and 11 real quick. We're almost done. God has given each of you a gift from his variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. So here's the additional thing, is that each one of us are unique in that, hey, you have some talents, you have some passions, God's created that in you. But then also when you said yes to Jesus, God anointed you with a spiritual gift. Something that's not even of you, that may even be unnatural of you, that you have a spiritual gift that God has specific. That's why it's even more valuable. You're even more valuable than you realize to the body here, that you have something that you may have been granted the spirit of compassion, a spirit of, of, of teaching, a spirit of discipleship, a spirit of different things. You can look that up. What are some of the spiritual gifts that we see? And what is God doing in your life that he's pointing and you see it certain times but you're not actively using that gift god has given each of us a variety of spiritual gifts use them well to serve one another do you have the gift of speaking then the speak is god himself through the speaking through you do you have the gift of helping others do it with all the strength and energy that god supplies this is holy spirit inspired strength then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and honor to him forever and ever. That's the reason that we flesh out our gifts. That's the reason that we gather together is not to applaud ourselves, but so that we can say, we can join with the angels, we can join with creation and say, all glory and honor to God through Jesus Christ and what he is doing in us and through us. And in those moments where we don't have the courage that the spirit of God moves us and motivates us to, to flesh out our gifts and our talents. And you can see some things happen in people's lives that are unexplainable by humanness but only explainable by God himself and the transformation that he happens. And then, only then, can God get the glory because everybody can say it's not us. There's no way that it could be us only through God doing that. But it, all it takes is for us saying, I'm available. I want to be a piece of the puzzle. And God uses that and moves it. What are some of the advantages to serving? Kids... They see your smiles on a regular basis and the light bulbs of faith come on as you, 
you go and teaching kids, students, having them text you at all kinds of weird times of the day, and then at some point maybe even saying, hey, listen, you're so a part of my faith journey, would you baptize me? We've seen it here over and over and over again. Greeting, having a first-time guest find their way and seeing them join a few months later. Safety, knowing that people can worship in a place like this with peace in mind in the crazy culture that we live in. Our prayer team, seeing God do what only God can do and know that prayer moves mountains. In a life group, seeing individuals and families beginning to do life together. If you've ever been a part of that, you know what I mean. And coffee, enough said. Right, a good cup of coffee wins friends and influences people. It does. One of my most favorite times, sitting across from a young man, he's, I'd say young, he's 30, but he's a fourth grade elementary teacher, and he was a man's man. I mean, he was mountaineer. He'd done all the... Um, climbed all the mountains, whitewater rafting, all this different stuff, and he was married and had a little girl. He'd been coming to the church that I was pastoring, and he said, man, I want to have coffee with you. And I was like, awesome, you're speaking my love language. And to sit down across from him and say to him, say to me, Chris, I don't know your Jesus, and I want to know him. Because I want to see my little girl grow up in a home like your home. I want to see my little girl grow up in a home like you. I want, I want to see how I can love my wife better. And I know that Jesus is the answer. I've tried everything else, and I know that Jesus has to be the answer and the solution over coffee to share the gospel with Matt. And to see Matt continue to grow now almost 10 years later and to see him and the places that God's taken him and he moved him from from Denver, Colorado to West Virginia, and he still continues to whitewater raft. He still continues to do all the different things, but now as a teacher you can see how God is even infused in the influence that Matt has. And people have come to know Jesus because of this crazy teacher that loves kids but also loves Jesus. You have a gift. that People are watching how you're fleshing out your faith, and there's going to come opportunities to share your faith. Don't forget your gift. Every Sunday here, we need a minimum, a minimum of 70 volunteers. Cruise ships, the highest rated ones, have one and a half servants or persons working per one person cruising. In other words, they have more people working to serve than they actually have people that are paying guests. That means people are number one. And by goodness, if a cruise ship can do that, surely the church of the Almighty God can do that. That's my prayer. Which service do you attend? Where can you serve? Find your place. Be a part of the puzzle here at Second. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gifts that you've given us. Father, I pray that if those in this room that struggle with the confidence to use them or the feeling that they're not, their gift is not enough, 
Father, I pray that they would hear the truth from you this morning. That is a lie. And that their joy and the opportunity to serve has been stolen from them. Father, may they rebuke that lie. May they live in the truth of you don't make any junk. And so the work and the service and the gifts you've given us are not junk, but they're gifts to others as well. May we use them. May we serve others. May we be a part of the puzzle of the kingdom of God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.